Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to do something a little different. For the past, I don't know how many weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. We've been going through different spiritual disciplines. Uh, we kind of came to a finale last week on the, on the issue of silence and solitude. And so my plan tonight is to do kind of a one-off message uh, and, and then next month, we're going to start a series in the book of James. And so we'll be working our way through the book of James. Uh, Pastor Malcolm will be coming and doing some of that as well. I know y'all been missing him on Wednesday nights, uh, so we'll get him in here as well. Yeah, but what I want to do tonight is just a one-off message. And uh, if you have your handout, it, 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 the title is, Whose Son Is He? Whose Son Is He? And what I want to do, I want to read from Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, this will be very familiar because you've probably seen this at Christmas time and read it at Christmas time. But this is speaking about the conception and the birth of Jesus. And we're going to read from verse 18 through verse 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for uh, all those tuning in. We thank you for all those in the house. And God, I pray that you would just speak to us tonight, that you would use me. Father, you know my heart, and my heart is to be in your will tonight. And so I'm praying that you would just use me as a vessel, Lord, that you'd pour into me so I could be poured out. And God, we just want to glorify you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. <clears throat> there is a, a, a verse, a scripture I want to read for, to you from Matthew chapter 22, verse 42. Now let me set up the scene. Jesus is being uh, uh, confronted by three different groups. The first group comes to him, known as the Herodians. This is a Jewish uh, religious sector. And they're asking Jesus some technical questions. They're trying to entrap him. They're trying to get him in a corner. And it doesn't work out too good. And Jesus outsmarts them. Jesus answers their question with wisdom. And they walk away defeated. Then another group comes, known as the Sadducees. And the Sadducees ask Jesus a question about marriage, thinking they're going to entrap him. Jesus answers that question with all wisdom, and they walk away defeated. Then the next group comes. They're known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees, in the, in the group of Pharisees, is a lawyer. And that lawyer begins to ask Jesus some questions. And then Jesus asks him a question. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 42, this is what he says. He says, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, The son of David. And Jesus further goes and he starts explaining. He says, well, if I'm just the son of David, then how come? And he quotes a verse from Psalm in which David says, the Lord is my Lord. And he says, so how can I be the son of David and my Lord at the same time? And what he's trying to clarify, he says, yes, I am the son of David, but I am so much more. I am the son of God. Now, this confounded them. This blew their minds. And Jesus asked this question. And I believe this question needs to be asked. And I think this question needs to be answered. Because what we believe about whose son he is means everything. It means everything. Unfortunately, there's, there was a, 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 about 10 plus years ago, there was an article written by Red Book Magazine. Red Book Magazine went and interviewed uh, some students at a Christian seminary. And they asked the students what they believed about the virgin birth. Do you believe there was a virgin birth? And 56% of students denied the virgin birth. At a Christian seminary. Another, another poll was done by Berkeley College out of California, and they polled different denominations. And they found that 69% of American Baptists believed in the virgin birth. 
66% of Lutherans believed in the virgin birth, 57% of Presbyterians, 39% of Episcopalians, 34% of Methodists, and 21% of Congregationalists. Now, you might be thinking, all right, Baptists, 69% believe there's a virgin birth. Yeah, but there's 31% who deny it. Now, this is a problem because we're seeing a trend in which is starting to deny the virgin birth and also the deity of Christ. Now, if the church isn't taking a stand on the virgin birth and the deity of Christ, then why would the world care? If the church doesn't know what it believes, then why would the world care? And so we have to be firm on our grips of what is, who is Jesus? Whose son is he? And in Romans chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, Paul writes this. Because we hear a lot of people talking. We hear a lot of people saying, well, I believe this, I believe this. So Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 3. He says, for what if some did not believe? Shall their belief make the faith of God without effect? In other words, does their unbelief make God a liar? He says, God forbid. Then he says this, let God be true, but every man, uh, what? A liar. Here's what I want to let you know. Don't base your theology on what everybody else thinks. And, and, and we need to be sure in what we believe. You cannot deny the virgin birth. There might be people who deny the deity of Christ. There might be people who deny the virgin birth. There might be people who ignore it altogether. But I promise you, church, we cannot deny it. We cannot doubt it. We can't ignore it. It is essential to what we believe. We cannot deny it. The virgin birth is the central foundation to Christianity. If Jesus just had a human father... If that's all it was, Jesus had a human father, then the whole Bible is untrustworthy. The whole Bible is a lie. If Jesus was born to just simple human parents, then it would not explain his supernatural life. There are four essentials to Christology, four essentials to to uh, our belief and doctrine of Christ. It is his virgin birth, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. Those four elements are essential to how we believe Christ. You cannot remove any one of those. It is a package deal. You have to believe all four of those equally. That he was born of a virgin. That he died. He rose again. And he's coming back. Those four things are essential. But you have people arguing. Did he really? Was he really born to a virgin? So the question is. Whose son is he? In Matthew chapter 1. Going back to Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 through 17. What Matthew does here is he gives us a genealogy. He gives us the list of all the 14 generations in Christ's genealogy, his humanity. And he goes and he says uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The book of generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, why did he start there? Because what Matthew is doing is intentional. He's showing that, yes, Jesus comes from the bloodline of David. Therefore, it qualifies him as what? A king. He's from royal lineage. He qualifies as a king. But also he comes from the bloodline of Abraham, which means he's also fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. What did God promise Abraham? He said, Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. And so what Matthew right off the bat is saying, this is a generation of, of, of the humanity of Christ. He is the fulfillment of the royal lineage of David, and he is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He's speaking of his humanity. He says this is his, his humanity. He comes from the bloodline of David and Abraham. And then you get to verse 18 through 25. And what he does here is he breaks down the genealogy of his divine nature, of his God side. He says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse of Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of what? The Holy Ghost. This, this is his God side. On his humanity, he's from the bloodline of David. In his deity, he is of the Holy Spirit. He is conceived in a supernatural way. John 3.16. Listen, we have to understand something. Jesus was unique. None other like him. And in John 3.16, which I'm sure most of y'all are familiar with. You should have memorized it back in preschool. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. Now that phrase, only begotten, 
in the Greek is one word that has two root words. And I'm, not, I'm trying not to lose you. It's one word that has two root words to it. Only begotten means monogenous. That's the Greek word, monogenous. If you split that in half, you have monogenous. Mono means only. Genus means kind. Unite. He's unique. What did, you, what did God say? For God so loved the world that he gave a one-of-a-kind son. He is unique. There is none other who had an entry like Christ. He is special and unique. God didn't just send anyone. He sent his son. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, which I'll, we're going to put it on a screen. Galatians 4 4. He says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Okay, so which is it? Did God send his son or was she born of a woman or was he born of a woman? Did he send his son or was he born of a woman? Yes. Yes. And this is what confounded the Pharisees. This is what aggravated them because they're trying to figure out, well, whose son are you? He says, I'm God's son. Well, you said you was a son of David. I am. And they're like, and so they accused Jesus of being a blasphemer because he claimed to be God's son. And, and, and I love how it would just, they're scratching their heads trying to figure out Jesus. I mean, imagine this. You could sit down with Jesus and begin to ask him some questions and say, Jesus, how old are you? He'd say, well, on my mama's side, I'm 33, but on my daddy's side, I'm infinite. Jesus, do you ever get hungry? Yeah, on my mama's side, I get hungry, but on my daddy's side, I'm the bread of life. On my mama's side, I get thirsty, but on my daddy's side, I'm living water. Well, Jesus, do you ever get sad? Yeah, there was a time on my mama's side, I cried when I found out Lazarus is dead, but on my daddy's side, I brought him back to life. Hey, there is a time coming when on my mama's side, I'm going to be put on a cross and I will die, but on my father's side, I'll raise to life three days again. Listen. This, they couldn't figure him out. So Matthew is writing. When Matthew is writing this, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And they're trying, he's giving, all these things that he's putting here is important and is on purpose. It's on purpose. So through the genealogy of Jesus, we see he's a son of David. Through his birth, we see he is a son of God. Now, if Matthew's lineage, if Matthew's history of Jesus only contained his earthly background, his earthly lineage, and it did not contain his divine conception, then the only thing that would qualify Jesus to be is king. Because he does come from the bloodline of David. He He does qualify to be king. But he couldn't have been the savior of all humanity. Without his divine conception, he couldn't have conquered sin. Without his divine conception, he couldn't have conquered death. Without his divine conception, he couldn't have conquered hell and Satan. And so you need both. Jesus is the God-man. He is equally God. He is equally man. And so I believe when Matthew is writing this, he's doing so with a purpose because there were some accusations circling at this time that Jesus was an illegitimate son. He was illegitimate. Don't believe me? Turn to Mark chapter 6. Or you can put it on the screen. It's in your handout too. Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. It says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in a synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Now, verse 3 is them kind of mocking him, kind of scoffing at him. Look at verse 3. He says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, you may have skipped over this, but in that culture, you would never address someone by their mother. You would say, in other words, if they were to do this, they should have said, Isn't, is not this the carpenter, the son of Joseph? But instead they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now why did they do that? Because it's a backhanded insult. Isn't this Mary's boy? You know, you know, Virgin Mary. 
isn't this her boy? She had a reputation. She was somebody that a lot of people didn't believe. And so they were insulting him. And, and matter of fact, there is a, uh, an early Christian scholar. His name is Origen of Alexandria. He was born or lived from 185 to 235 A.D. So about, he was alive about 150 years after the death of Christ. Now, Origen of Alexandria writes down that there were rumors circulating during that time that Mary was impregnated by a Roman soldier. These are some of the accusations. These are some of the rumors that were spreading. And so what Matthew is doing is he's trying to make it explicitly honest and open and put it out there that Jesus is both God and he is man. So I'm going to give you three things about the virgin birth. Three fundamentals, three facts, three things to help us understand why the virgin birth is necessary. Why do we have to believe it? Number one, the virgin birth confirmed Jesus' deity. It confirmed Jesus' deity. If you look in verse 18, it says that Mary was espoused to Joseph. Now, in that culture, in that culture, a lot of times they would do arranged marriages. And so when a kid was little, they would go ahead and pick out who he's going to marry or who she was going to marry, and they would arrange it. And then when they got a little bit older, they would go through a betrothal process. They, they, they would be basically engaged, is that how we would call it. But it was more than that. They would, betroth- they would actually be called husband and wife during this time, even though there was not actually any ceremony, and even though they didn't have the same rights as husband and wife, but they would be betrothed. For about 12 months, that's how long the period would last, 12 months of betrothal. And during this 12 months, it was basically a test to, to kind of test their purity, to test their intentions. Because if something was to happen within that 12 months, it would likely produce itself eventually. You know, it would come to light eventually in 12 months' time. And so for 12 months, they would be called husband and wife, even though they never, never had a wedding ceremony, even though they never consummated their marriage. And so we know that Mary and Joseph did not have any kind of sexual relationship during this betrothal period. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it says, and he knew her not. Exactly. That's speaking of they never consummated. All right. In verse 18, it says, before they came together. So it was during this betrothal process. That Mary became pregnant, and so it wouldn't have been any question if Joseph was the father because they didn't know each other that way yet. And, and so she becomes pregnant during a time where they're betrothed to be married, and Joseph is a righteous man. Joseph holds the highest regard to God's standard. And God looks, listen, God looks at great concern at purity and virginity. He puts so many laws in place in the Old Testament regarding purity. He holds it to a high standard. And so if there was a young girl, a young virgin girl that found out that she was pregnant, and she is yet, she, can, she claims to be a virgin, this is quite the conundrum. This is an issue. When me and Tracy were dating, we dated for three and a half years. And when we were dating, early in our dating relationship, Tracy said, I want to wait till marriage for my first kiss. Now, she had never dated anyone before me. She had never kissed anyone before me. But she told me, I want to wait till my marriage, my wedding day for my kiss. And I was thinking, (laughs) So I'm like, hey, you hadn't kissed me yet. You don't know what you're missing out on. Um, But that was a hard thing to do. I wait that long for a kiss. Now, imagine my surprise if one day she came up to me and said, hey, Andrew, I got to let you know I'm pregnant. (laughs) You You know what kind of emotions I would be feeling in that moment? Anger, sadness, betrayal, confusion. I mean, all the things. I've been feeling all the things at the same time. And then, yeah, murder, yeah. I've been feeling all the things. Now, if I was to ask her the follow-up question, well, who's the daddy? And she said, God. You know what I would have said? You're crazy. You have lost your mind. You are crazy. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He's a righteous man who loves God. And yet... His bride-to-be is supposed to be a virgin who just told him she's pregnant. 
Let's look in Luke's account of this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man. All right, again, to a virgin. The Bible is making it clear again. She was a virgin, untouched by man. And she was espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. Okay, so obviously she was not a promiscuous person, because how could she be highly favored? Right? So she's highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled. I bet she was troubled. I mean, she's a young teenage girl in the middle of nowhere, uh, an outskirt town of Jerusalem where there, everybody there is a nobody in a town that nobody wants to be from. And now here's Gabriel, the main messenger angel of God, coming to visit her and say, you are highly favored. I bet she was a little troubled. And then she says he was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, and, she, and, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Okay, here's Mary again, affirming her virginity. I, I, how, could, how could this happen? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So when Mary became pregnant, she knew why. The angel told her up front, You're going to conceive and it's going to be of the Holy Ghost. But poor Joseph didn't know at that time. And he found out he was floored. And, 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 and he knew Mary. Here's the problem. He knew Mary. He knew her character. He knew her integrity. He knew her love for the Lord. And this just seemed so out of character for her. How could the, it didn't make any sense. How could she be pregnant? And he also knew being a righteous man. Deuteronomy chapter 22 tells him that if any woman is pregnant out of wedlock, they are to be killed. So as a righteous man... He's in conflict with himself. I love her, but I know what the law requires. And so he's having a war within himself. And here's the problem. Mary had no way to defend herself. I mean, what's she going to go do? Is she going to go tell people I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's God's? I mean, are people going to really believe her? And so she had no way to protect her reputation. No way to defend herself. But I love what God does. God makes it plain and clear in all four Gospels and in the prophecy of Isaiah that she is a virgin. He protected her honor. He preserved it in the Holy Scriptures for all eternity for everybody to know she is a righteous woman full of integrity and character. She did not compromise. This was something gifted to her by the Holy Ghost. She was a righteous, upstanding woman. And I love that he protected her integrity and honor through the Scriptures for all time so that we can never doubt. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus was an ordinary man... If Jesus was simply like all other men, then he would have had a normal birth. People get, babies get born every day. But he isn't like anyone else. Remember, he's monogenous. The only kind. He is unique. He is special. But if he is simply, if he was only the illegitimate child of Mary, if he was only the product of sexual relationship between Joseph and Mary, then he is not God. And here's the problem. If he is not God, that, mean, that means every claim he made is a lie. And if he is a liar, then his salvation is a hoax. And if his salvation is a hoax, that means we have no hope. Do you understand? Our salvation hinges on what we believe about the virgin birth. If you deny it, there is no hope. If you claim it, there is hope. And so what's interesting, I want you all to see this. What's interesting in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 1, Matthew uses the word, the book of generations, or the book of genealogy. In verse 18, 
He uses the word birth. Now the birth of Jesus. Now, I know I'm not a Greek scholar either, but I do like doing word studies from time to time. And I found this very interesting. The very word he uses in Matthew chapter 1 when he says the genealogy of Jesus in the Greek is the same exact word he uses here for the word birth. In other words, what Matthew is doing is he's mirroring it together. He's saying this is the genealogy of Jesus on his humanity. He is the son of David, son of Abraham, and he goes through 14 generations. And then he says, now this is the genealogy of Jesus in his deity. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. It was a miraculous conception. He's, he's mirroring his divinity and his humanity. He's 100% both. Amen. Don't ask me to explain it. It just is. It is. And this miraculous virgin conception, listen, it was documented throughout Scripture. You go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This was prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus. 700 years before He came into this world, Isaiah said this, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a what? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. This was 700 years before His birth. That's pretty impressive. But I want, to, I want to show you something even more impressive. At the very beginning, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's a fancy word. It's called proto-evangelium. Y'all can, that's a $5 word you can write down and use later. But proto-evangelium means the first gospel. In other words, this is the first time the gospel has ever been mentioned in Scripture. Genesis three fifteen. And this is a moment where God is having a conversation with the serpent, the one, the Satan himself. And he's telling this Satan in verse 15 of chapter 3, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is immediately after the fall. Immediately after they disobey God. He's talking to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, I never saw this until recently. And this, whew, this may be, this is awesome. Look, it says, it was her seed that will bruise your head. Now, in a literal way, the seed belongs to the man. The egg belongs to the woman. Right? (laughs) Mary's impregnation by the Holy Spirit is the only time in human history that a woman had a seed in her apart from a man. Are are y'all seeing this? In Genesis 3.15, he says, there will be a seed from her that destroys Satan. This is, Mary is the only time in human history that a woman possessed a seed without a man. And so in Genesis 3.15, God is already foreshadowing the virgin conception of Mary with Jesus. From the very beginning, he had a plan. It's important that we understand how, how, how we need to cling to the virgin birth because it explains his deity. Secondly, the virgin birth confirms Jesus' qualification. Jesus' qualification. Number two, the virgin birth confirms Jesus' qualifications. Look in verse 19 and 20. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So again, this is another confirmation of Mary being a virgin. You might be thinking, why? why?" We'll get there. Never mind. Never mind. So Joseph was a righteous man. He's a compassionate man. He's got a war between himself. Do I, do I take her to the, to the Pharisees and let them do, do, what the, do what the law requires? Or do I put her away? And so he chooses, listen, I love her. I don't want her to be shamed. I don't want her to be killed. So I'm going to divorce her quietly and send her away. And then a, an angel comes and appears to him and says, take your wife. She is conceived with the Holy Ghost. Another, this is another time where the divine nature of Christ is shown to us. This was a Holy Spirit moment. Now, I love this. I heard a story about David Platt. David Platt is an author. He's a, he's a pastor. Matter of fact, he pastored church in Birmingham some years ago. But he tells a story about when he was in Indonesia. And in Indonesia, he went to a Buddhist temple. And he met with a Buddhist leader and he met with a Muslim leader. And they were all discussing religion. And at the end of their conversation, at the end of them talking about their religion, David Platt says, well, let me, let me see if I understand this correctly. 
You're saying that God is on a mountain and mankind is doing all they can to work their way up to God, but eventually all paths will eventually take you to God. And it's, yeah, that's correct. That's, that's, that's correct. And David Platt said, well, let me tell you about my God. He says, my God was on the mountain, but there was no way for us to get up the mountain to him. So he came down to us. He says, that's the difference. That's the difference. Although Jesus would have an earthly mother, he would have a heavenly father. And the virgin birth is what makes Christianity unique. Unlike any other. So why do we need the virgin birth? Why did it have to be this way? Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So there is a sin curse that has been inherited genetically from humanity, from the blood of Adam. It is forever tainted. It is no longer pure. This is a sin curse that is passed on to us. Adam passed it on to Cain and Abel. Noah passed it on to his three sons. My daddy passed it on to me. I passed it on to my kids. We all inherited this sin curse. Our blood is impure. We have tainted blood. We cannot free ourselves from this. It is impossible. If I go to a cross and say, I'm going to pay your sin, I would do nothing but die. My death would be meaningless. Why? Because I have my own sin debt to pay. I can't pay your debt if I got a debt to pay, and, and, and I couldn't even pay my own debt. And so there, there was no way for us to cure ourselves of this sin. Let me, I'm, I was a youth pastor for a long time, so let, let, me, let, me, let me explain it this way. You have a daddy dog, and you have a mommy dog, and they love each other very much. And one day they go get married and they have baby dogs. All right. (laughs) You have a mommy cat. You have a daddy cat. They love each other very much. One day they get married and they have baby kittens, cats. You have mommy center. You have daddy center. They love each other, get married, and they have baby. The only thing we're able to produce is more centers. There is no way. There is no way. We were stuck. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed goats and sheep and bulls and pigeons and everything else. And all they could do was temporarily cover sin, but it couldn't remove sin. Why? Why? Well, if you go back to the garden, was it a bull and a sheep and a pigeon that sinned in the garden? No, it was humanity that sinned in the garden. And so the only perfect sacrifice that could take away the sin of humanity had to be a perfect human. But our problem is all we produce is sinful humans. There was never a perfect sacrifice, nothing that could ever be free from the, from the influence and the taintedness of sin. And so here we are in this dilemma. If Jesus just had two human parents, if Jesus just had normal two human parents, then his birth would have meant nothing. Because ba- ba- people have babies all the time. It's one of the only commandments people follow. God said, be fruitful and multiply. And they're like, got it. All right. But if Jesus had earthly parents then there's another problem. He wouldn't have been able to avoid the curse of sin because he would have been born from sinners. Now, now let me make it clear. Mary was a sinner. The Catholic Church would try to have you believe otherwise. They, they, they believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. In other words, that she was a virgin her entire life. They also believe that she was sinless in every way. And matter of fact, they believe that she's the queen of heaven right now. That is a complete lie. She was a sinner like everyone else. Now, she was righteous, she was devout, she was faithful, but she was still a sinner. Well, how do I know that? Well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. In verse 47, he says, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my... Why would she need a Savior if she wasn't a sinner? So right there we see that she's admitting, I I need a Savior. God is my Savior. So here's what happened. Even though Jesus was born from a woman and conceived of the Holy Spirit, how did he avoid the sin curse? Well, his deity canceled out humanity's curse. When he was born in this world, the water and the nature of God extinguished the fire and nature of humanity. He was conceived by God in the Holy Spirit and he was placed in the womb of Mary and therefore he was born free of the curse of sin. The only one ever born apart from sin. Now let me give you some science behind this. Now we have Bible, but listen guys, I saw that this was cool. 
This is cool. I hope you ain't checked out yet. I hope y'all plug in right now. All right, wake up, slap yourself. All right, make yourself awake because this is cool. This is cool right here. When it comes to, God did this, by the way. God was so intelligent and smart that the way he created the, the womb and the woman, he did it in such, an, such intricacies and, and, and technicalities and complexities that he did it in such a way that this, for this purpose, I believe, for this purpose, let me explain. So the development of blood and blood vessels comes from the father. Once a father impregnates a mother, the egg is fertilized. And it begins to form the vessels and the blood, and it begins to grow the fetus. Think about, think about a chicken egg. All right, when it's unfertilized, the hen will lay chicken eggs all the time. lay eggs all the time. But the moment that rooster gets with that hen and fertilizes that egg, in a few days you'll begin to see red streaks on the outside of that shell. Kind of, you start seeing, what is that? That's blood vessels being formed. The only way that happened is because there was a father that did that. The father is what impregnates the, the egg to now allow it to form blood vessels. Now you'd be thinking, well, I don't understand what you're trying to say here. Let me, let me get even further. The Holy Spirit is what contributed the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is what contributed the blood of Jesus. The Father is necessary for the development of DNA, which forms our blood, veins, and vessels. So if, if Jesus would conceive by an earthly father, then he would receive the blood and, and, the, and, the, and the sin curse from his father. But he wasn't conceived that way. Matter of fact, you have in your handout a quote from a, from a doctor, from a medical doctor named Dr. Martin DeHaan. I want you all to read what he says. All the blood which forms in that little body is formed in the embryo itself and only as a result of the contribution of the male parent. From the time of conception to the time of birth of the infant, look at this, not one single drop of blood ever passes from the mother to the child. This is why a mother can have a different blood type than the, than the child. A, a baby can have A negative, mom can have B positive. Because the baby's blood is completely separate from the mother's. They don't interchange blood. So, there's not one single drop of blood that ever passes from the mother to the child. The placenta, the mass of temporary tissue known better as afterbirth, forming the union between mother and child is so constructed that although so constructed, yeah, God did it. All right, he put it together this way, that although all the soluble nutritive elements such as proteins, fats, carbohydrates, salts, minerals, and even antibodies pass freely from mother to child, and the waste products of the child's metabolism are passed back to the mother's circulation. But no actual interchange of a single drop of blood ever occurs normally. All the blood which is in that child is produced within the child itself as a result of the introduction of the male sperm. The mother contributes no blood at all. So it is the male sperm that contributes the ability for its blood to form. Yet Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Therefore, he was not able to develop a sin curse from the blood of Adam. His blood was pure. His blood was innocent. He didn't get inherited that sin nature and that curse and that sinful blood. And uh, Mary was the vessel. Mary was the vessel. And she would birth the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think it's so cool how God prepared the womb so that he could be born in this way. There is so much scientific, scientific biological reasons for the way that Jesus was born in this immaculate conception. Jesus was fully God and he is fully man. Jesus was born sinless and therefore he was able to shed sinless blood on that cross. He was innocent. That blood was innocent. His blood has now been applied to our account. Why? Because our blood is sinful. We are sinful in our nature. We have a sin curse. And so Jesus took his innocent blood and applied it onto you so that you could be, be made sinless too. That you could stand before God sinless. Mary contributed the body, but the Holy Spirit contributed the blood. That's good stuff. Matter of fact, Judas, Judas said this in Matthew 27, 4. He says, I have betrayed the innocent blood. The Lord was just like us in every single way in his humanity except for one way. He was sinless. He was like us in every single way with one exception. He was sinless. He was perfect. And this gave him all the qualifications to be able to conquer death, 
hell, and the grave. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but how were you redeemed? But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. For such a high priest came, became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Adrian Rogers said this. I'm going to read it because I can't say it better than Adrian Rogers. But Adrian Rogers said this. He says, I wouldn't give you half a hallelujah for your chances of heaven if you deny the virgin birth. He says, you see, if there were no virgin birth, there would be no sinless Christ. No sinless Christ means there's no atonement. No atonement means there's no forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness, that means there's no hope of heaven. And without hope of heaven, we would all die and go to hell. Thank God for the virgin birth. If you take away the virgin birth, the whole house of Christianity collapses like a house of cards. You cannot deny the virgin birth and be a Christian. 100%. It is essential. It is an essential belief. Thirdly, the virgin birth confirmed Jesus' mission. It confirmed Jesus' mission. Look in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Notice it says, she shall bring forth a son. The Bible is very intentional about never mentioning Joseph as Jesus' father. Except for that one entrance I mentioned in Mark chapter 6, because that was, that was intentional, the way they said that. They were trying to throw shame at Jesus because of his mother. But every other time in Scripture, they never mention anything about Joseph being any relation to Jesus. And so it says that she will bring forth a child. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, Joseph is told by an angel, he says, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go to Egypt. Now why didn't he say, Arise, take your wife and the child? The way it was phrased is important. He's saying, basically saying, Joseph, you have no involvement with the relationship and creation of Jesus. And so he says, take the wife or take the mother and her child with you. So Joseph is just there as stepdaddy, but he was a good man. I believe, I believe God was intentional in choosing Joseph to be the one who raised his son here on earth. He wouldn't have chose anybody. I think Joseph was a good man, a godly man. I believe God loved Joseph. But it was making it clear throughout Scripture that Joseph, this is my son. This is my son. And so it's making it abundantly clear that Jesus is the child of Mary and the, and the, and the product of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then Matthew adds some commentary in verse 22 and 23. He says, Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet. He's speaking about the prophet Isaiah. Saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So he's connecting the virgin birth to an Old Testament promise. This is the promise that God is fulfilling right now in the midst of Joseph and Mary. And Jesus was on a mission. He was sent here for a mission. It had to be this way. It had to be the virgin birth. He had to be God and he had to be man. It had to be this way. He had a mission to accomplish. Well, what was his mission? Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to kind of end on these verses tonight. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery. That means something to be held on to. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now your handout, you don't have any blanks anymore, but I want you all to pay attention. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. His mission was, number one, he emptied himself. That phrase, made himself of no reputation, the Greek word is canoe. Canoe means to empty. He emptied himself. Now, now what did he empty himself of? Now, he didn't empty himself of his deity. He's still 100% God. He is still 100% God. He did not take away his godliness. But what I believe happened when he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, is that he set aside the prerogatives of his deity. He limited himself. 
There was never a moment he was not God. Even when when little Mary was holding baby Jesus against her chest, he was 100% God. But he set aside the prerogatives of his deity to walk among us and live among us. He lived on the earth with certain limitations. Think about this. When he was born and he's placed in that little manger, there was not many there. A few scoundrel shepherds, some barn animals, and his mom and dad. That's it. It's kind of a weak introduction to the creator of the world being born into creation. You would think, you would think there would be more in attendance for that. All of God's creation should have been in attendance. All of the Roman elite should have been there. The temple and the synagogue should have been empty. And in the presence of that manger scene with, the, with God coming into the world, but that's not how it was. He didn't force them to come. Why didn't he force them to come? Because he laid aside his prerogatives of his deity. He lived on his earth with certain limitations. He practiced what is known as meekness. Now, there's a difference between weakness and meekness. Weakness is lack of power or ability. Meekness is power under control. The other day, I was driving down 157, going going up to battleground, and the speed limit's 65. I, I go a little faster, but it's 65. And there was a Corvette, one of those brand new red Corvettes. And he was going about 63. And I passed him in my 2006 red Nissan Titan with 230,000 miles on it. I passed him. But here's the thing. It was, a, it was a little old man in that driver's seat too. But here's the thing. He didn't have to let me know that car was fast. I knew it was fast. And he didn't have to punch the gas to let me know it was fast. He knew it was fast too. That's power under control. He had all the power and the horsepower to blow my doors off, but he just kept it under control and cruising 63. He didn't care. That's power. So what God did when Jesus came to this earth, he put his power under control. Jesus was meek. There was never a moment he was not God, yet he emptied himself of the prerogatives of his deity and submitted himself to the will of the Father. And secondly, it says he took on the form of a servant. Imagine all that Jesus gave up to come here. He was in a form of God. That doesn't mean he was like God. It means he is God. He was a form of God. And so he gave up. You don't understand how much he gave up. He gave up his throne. Gave up a choir of angels singing, holy, 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 for people to shout out, crucify, crucify, crucify. He exchanged the heavenly realms for a manger scene. He humbled himself and took on the form of a man, form of a servant. God of creation became part of creation. And every other man since Adam was born into sin. And Jesus came to destroy sin. So Jesus took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Paul, Paul here was not suggesting that Jesus was just like men in appearance. No, Jesus was like men in the, in, in the way he felt. He was like him in his vulnerabilities and his thoughts. He was just like us. He was supremely different because he was perfect and he was sinless. But he did what man was originally created to do, which was to live in perfect submission to the Father. He came to do the will of the Father. And so he humbled himself, put aside the prerogatives of his deity, and humbled himself unto the will of the Father. Well, how, how did he humble himself? How far would it go? Three, he humbled himself. Verse eight says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Death is the ultimate level to obedience. There was a time in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was crying and, and sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, there's any other way. He says, but not my will, thy will be done. And he humbled himself into the will of the Father. And Jesus being in the perfect will of the Father, he went to follow the path of the cross. Now, he died a criminal's death. Uh, the, the, the blessed, innocent one of humanity, the blessed Son of God, the monogenous, the only one like him, took upon him the form of a servant, humbled himself unto death, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And he took upon that cross. The road to redemption was his humble path. And Jesus, who is God, who is all-powerful, chose to come to earth. And instead of coming in all power, he chose to empty himself. He chose to humble himself. And not only did he, he become human, he became a servant. And this is why the religious leaders didn't like him. Because they wanted a conquering king. But Jesus came as a servant. They were expecting more. 
How? How could they, they couldn't understand the, the idea that this no-name carpenter from Nazareth, born of this woman with this reputation named Mary, a nobody could be their king? But they didn't understand that he was God. It was God. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. If we're honest, this doesn't seem like a very victorious life. It doesn't. The Son of God came to earth. He had more, re- more people reject Him than follow Him. He had more people hate Him than love Him. And ultimately, He would die a criminal's death naked on a cross. That don't sound victorious. But what we see next is that the one who is humiliated by men will be exalted by God. Look in verse 9 through 11. He was exalted. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So this is, and think about this, out of all the planets and all the stars... We are the only one in which God's foot has stepped on. Jesus himself has walked among us, lived a, lived a perfect sinless life. Why? Because he was born of a woman, but he had the blood of God in him. And he lived a perfect sinless life, did only what he could do. And then one day, one day, even though there was only a few people in attendance at his birth, there's coming a day where he will come and all of creation will kneel down and every tongue will confess that you are God. You are the son. You are Jesus. Every tongue will confess. Hey, it doesn't matter how he arrived, but he's coming again. Amen. And people's going to take notice when he does. <laughs> Aren't you glad that he's the only one like him? Aren't you glad that he came the way that he came? Listen, the virgin birth. It's more than a nativity scene you put out on Christmas. <laughs> There's never been a birth like that in history. Never will be. It's the only kind. Why did it have to be that way? So he could be fully man and he could be fully God. So he could be born of man without the curse of man. So that he could be supreme as Savior, but he could identify in our struggle. So that he could feel our pain, but also so he could heal our pain. So he could feel our tears, but Revelation said he's going to dry our tears. He had to be man, and he had to be God, and it could only happen this way. Listen, I don't care what other people think, what other people say. Jesus was born of a virgin. Miraculous, supernatural, and the only way it's ever happened, because he is the only kind. Amen.